So just a little heads up, a little update. Um, update number one is that um, I had my CAT scan last Tuesday, we, last Wednesday. We had a little bit of an issue getting the CAT scan. They, can't, they called Wednesday and canceled. And uh, they said they canceled because insurance um, wasn't going to be willing to cover the CAT scan. And uh, so they said, we're going to see what you know, we've appealed it. They have till Thursday to respond. And um, then later Wednesday, they called and said, uh, we just heard from them. They, they now approved the CAT scan. But they canceled my appointment for Wednesday evening. And uh, so they said, but that was at 6.30. So they said, now we've got an appointment available at 5.30. Will you be willing to take it? So bumped up an hour. Ruth was able to come home a little early and take me there. And so I got my CAT scan done on Wednesday after all. Um, and uh, then Friday, I got the report. And of course, a lot of that I don't understand because it's medical jargon. Uh, my appointment is this Tuesday to find out what they're going to say. But uh, the, what I did understand from the report is twofold. Number one, the, uh, the healing is continuing, number one. Number two, uh, they said uh, that the report talked about marrow is beginning to form. I am just amazed. I guess, I guess I, I, maybe this is just not much for you guys, but I'm just amazed how God has designed our bodies. I hope it's amazing to all of us. I mean, it's one thing to have a bone break and then it's lined back up again and it heals. And that's cool, right? It heals. That's, that's really kind of cool. You break your leg and the doctor lines it back up again and it heals. In this case, it can't be lined up again. And there's a gap, a pretty sizable gap that they question would ever grow across. It began to grow across. And as it grew across, it's now starting to form channels for marrow and the marrow is beginning to form. That's stunning to me. That is just amazing. We are wondrously made, aren't we? That that healing process is is to me is even for a 61 and a half year old guy, it's just that to me is just stunning. <coughs> so we'll find out all the rest of the what all the jargon means. Um, it did say that there has been no setback, which is also good. Uh, so we'll find out what that means for whether I need to continue to wear this. I suspect I'll have to, but I'm hopeful that they're going to say, except for physical times of physical exertion and sleeping, don't have to. That'd be really nice. Um, we'll have to see how it goes. Anyway, so thank you all for your continued prayers. Um, it's where we're at. So I figured I'd let you know. If you're wondering where Ruth is this morning, uh, she has not been feeling well since Wednesday evening. Uh, she's got a really bad sinus infection, and she's having abdominal issues. And so she's at home. Um, she's not contagious or anything like that. Um, she is feeling better, but she was a little uncomfortable um, coming out and about today. So she's, that's why she's at home. Just for your right update. In any case, we are in Acts chapter 17 this morning. As Tom read, let's have a word of prayer, and then we can get into the text. Lord, I pray you'll help us as we, as we get into this uh, commonly known text that we will be able to um, look beyond what we commonly understand and that we will be able to comprehend uh, the importance and the purpose and the value and the application of this text. I pray that you will uh, help us to understand it correctly and I pray Lord that the result of our time in the word will be 
one in which you are honored and glorified, and one in which we are changed and drawn closer in worship and closer in honoring and magnifying you. So help us this morning as we do so. In your name I pray. Amen. So we're looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15 this morning. If you remember, last week we were with Paul virtually. Virtual is a, a term that we use a lot today, right? So we were virtually with Paul in Thessalonica last week, weren't we? And of course, we found out at the end of, of 17.9 that, um, that uh, things were going pretty south pretty quickly uh, for uh, the people or for the, uh, Paul and Silas at, at Thessalonica. And then you see in verse 10, as Tom just read, that the brothers, that is these new believers um, in Thessalonica, did what? They rescued Paul and Silas by uh, sneaking them away from Thessalonica and taking them by night to Berea. If I may pause on verse 10 for just a second, it's kind of an aside, but um, it is it is it will come important as we work our way to the end of today's text. I want I just want you to notice just for starters in verse 10 that we discover that this new belief of believers, right? The new belief, changed belief system, right? Because everybody's a believer in something. This changed belief system in these Christians, these new believers in Thessalonica, caused them to what? Take them by night and get them out of here. To do something radically different. If I may be more general than what you said, Ken, to do something really radically different from who they used to be. Who were they before they were saved? People who would do what with Paul and Silas? Persecute them, beat them, maybe even try to kill them, right? And now what are they doing? They're helping them. They're helping them escape, helping their ministry to continue. Just take that little tidbit we see in verse 10, store it away for late in the section we have today. But I want, I just want you to identify that to see it. So Paul and Silas come by night to Berea. And by the way, again, before we get off verse 10, it says what? And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Can I just ask you a quick question? How well has that gone for Paul and Silas in general? <laughs> That's not gone well at all. How to influence and influence people. I mean, you almost think that, that Paul and Silas have some sort of death wish. Like, like they kind of, they're kind of like these people who like jumping off a high, real high cliffs, you know? Just for the rush of it all, right? Kayaking off waterfalls. Kayaking off waterfalls. <laughs> Running down steep hills. Yes. Yeah. But no, that's not the case at all, is it? It's just intriguing. It, it, it almost never worked out well for them. Even when it has worked out well, it hasn't worked out well. Even when there's been some believers, it still hasn't worked out well. Exhibit A, Thessalonica, right? It hasn't worked out well. But what's interesting, just like we see in the new believers in verse 10, rescuing Paul and sneaking him out by night to Berea, helping them to escape that scenario whereby everybody's coming against them, generally speaking, in town. 
they immediately go to the place that caused all the problems in the next town. Why? Why? Because just like these Thessalonican Christians who are changed people, so are Paul and Silas. I mean, it makes sense, self-preservation, doesn't it? Doesn't it make some sense at some level? Let me change that. Doesn't it make some sense at just about every level? Self-preservation? Let me change that a little bit more. Doesn't it make every sense at every level? I mean, Ken was just telling me before the service about working over his son's house. Up high on ladders, the scaffolds. And it wasn't fun, was it? He was scared to death. Doesn't like heights too much. Sound familiar, Charles? I don't know what he means. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jim, sound familiar? And Jim, too? Sound familiar? I'm hitting all the construction people. Yeah, it, 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 it makes sense. So, Ken, when you were up there, what were you thinking about the whole time? Were you just thinking about a guy driving his home and have fun up here? You think it all the time about it, aren't you? You think it all the time about how do I stay safe here? How do I preserve myself here? It is moment in time. In the midst of trying to screw the screws in and putting all the things up on the wall and ceilings and roofs and whatever it was, your primary focus was, I want to get home tonight. Wasn't it? Does that make sense to everybody? I mean, let me just ask you, does it make some sense, or does it make absolute sense to you? Absolute sense. It makes absolute sense, doesn't it? When it comes to Paul and Silas, does that make complete sense to them? No. Does it make some sense to them? No. Does it make absolute sense to these new Thessalonican believers? Does it make some sense to them? No. Because although the story doesn't tell it here, these, these new believers from Thessalonica, after they get Paul to Berea, where do they go? Back to Thessalonica. They go back to where? <laughs> Thessalonica. Thessalonica. And what are the people at Thessalonica all about? Finding Paul and Silas. And guess what they're going to find out? that some people help them get away. And they're going to find out who helped them get away. Does that make sense? Now, I know it's not in the storyline, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Hmm? Did that stop the people of Thessalonica from helping? Did it stop Paul and Silas from going to the synagogue? The answer is no. Why? Well, we already established Preservation is kind of hardwired, isn't it? Isn't it? It's kind of hardwired. If you're driving down the road singing your favorite song along with the radio, or maybe better said, butchering the song on the radio, and all of a sudden the car pulls out in front of you, your whole focus instantaneously and automatic and almost instinctually changes, doesn't it? Does that make sense? The song means nothing at that point, even though it's your all-time favorite song. It means nothing. All that matters is what? 
Staying alive. I was going to say, what if that, what if that <laughs> was the song? <laughs> Way to go, Ken. <laughs> Ken's into disco, as we just figured out. <laughs> Everybody on the internet now knows that Ken Hacken, Ken Hacken. Of, of Hacken's Woodworking. <laughs> In any case, you get my point. Well, what's so different about the Thessalonican Christians? What's so different about Paul and Silas? Are they wired differently? No. Not at all. Just like you, in that car accident, would instantly stop considering the song really important, even though five seconds earlier you told the other person in the car to be quiet so you could listen to the song and you were rude about it. Five seconds later, the song was irrelevant because something was more irrelevant, more relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Something was infinitely more relevant, your own preservation. In verse 10, what we discover is that very thing. Something for Paul and Silas and something for these believers, these young believers, something is infinitely more important. Jesus. It's Jesus. It's salvation. It's the gospel. We just, I think we just sang a song, didn't we? That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours. Through him who with us sideth, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Did you think of those, song, those words when you sang it? Think about it? You see, for Paul and Silas and these new believers, in coming to faith, Paul on, on the road to Damascus, whenever Silas came to faith in the Lord and Jesus, these new believers in Thessalonica, upon the ministry of Paul and Silas, when the gospel impacted their life by the Spirit, and they were gloriously saved, what happened? The things that were absolutely important to them changed. That's what happened. Changed. Radically changed. This is not a call we need to change so that the gospel is more important to This is what happened to them. Right? This is what happened. Before salvation, all sorts of things were ultimately important to them. Don't know which things they were. For Paul, for Saul, one of those was persecuting Christians. One of those we know was obedience to the law, wasn't it? And his pride in his Jewishness. In Philippians 3, he says, I count it all dumb in comparison to Christ. That's what he says. If you don't believe it, you can look it up. Philippians chapter 3. Really clear. 
And what verse 10 is talking about is this very thing. What is ultimately valuable? Paul and Silas immediately, when they get there, they go to the Jewish synagogue. It has caused all sorts of grief for them. And yet they don't. The Jews have caused all sorts of grief and will continue to do so. And yet they don't. And they proclaim Christ as fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. So they go to the Jewish synagogue, verse 11. It's interesting, verse 11 is really the central verse in the whole text. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I want to pause heavily on verse 11 because there are several things that we need to pull out of this verse that is absolutely crucial to understand. First, it's very important that when it references these Jews in, in Berea as being more noble and then describes what they did, too often the church has turned that around to be the church in Berea was doing these things, searching the scriptures. That's not the case. These are unbelievers. They're unbelievers who are searching the scriptures. Do you see that? It's really clear in the scriptures. Let me read it again. Verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Verse 12 explains it to us. Many of them therefore believed. Do you see the sequence? Very important, we recognize the sequence of events as described by Luke. They're more noble because of how they responded to the message where, while Paul is in the synagogue preaching the gospel. As a result, many believed. We have to see the order. Do you see it? Now, let me just say, that does not negate at all the, I would say, misidentification of it referring to the church. It does not negate at all the call throughout the scriptures of the need to search and be diligent with the scriptures. Does that make sense? But this text is talking about unbelievers searching the scriptures, not believers searching the scriptures. You can find many, many places in the scriptures about believers searching diligently and studying diligently the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. But it is interesting, this text is talking about unbelievers. Okay? Now it's interesting in verse 11, obviously it's talking about the Jews in the synagogue. Now these Jews, and it uses a really interesting term that we have misunderstood a lot were more noble than those in Thessalonica. These Jews are more noble than those Jews. These unsaved Jews in Berea were more noble than those unsaved Jews in Thessalonica. And what we want to do, and it seems to say in the text, if you're not careful, if you don't understand what's really going on here, what we want to do is to say they're no, more noble. We follow through. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, semicolon in my translation, 
They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if they were so. If these things were so. In other words, they were, they were more noble because they did these things. It sounds like it may, that's what the text is saying, doesn't it? They're more noble because they did these things. And I would submit to you, I don't think that's what the text is talking about. I don't think that's what Luke's trying to communicate here. A couple things that I think it's really important we understand. First, in the ancient Roman world, privileges were really important. Privileges were absolutely essential. You were either in or you were out. You were either blessed or you were cursed. And there was no moving from the position you were in. Generally speaking, there was no movement. You either had it or you didn't. There was much honor to people who had it. And much derision to people who didn't have it. Does that make sense? And in the Roman world, there was a, a variety of categories of having it. Like having Roman citizenship, for example, was an amazing privilege in the Roman Empire. There were many people who were residents of the Roman Empire that did not have Roman citizenship. And as a result, they didn't have all of the blessings that came along with. We've already talked about that. I mean, just for example, you couldn't be beat if you were a Roman citizen. If you weren't a Roman citizen, have at it. You'd be for anything. You didn't have to go through a trial if you weren't a Roman citizen. If you were a Roman citizen, you must go through a trial if you committed a crime or are suspected of a crime. You had all sorts of blessings. Privileges being a Roman citizen. But there was a whole different category of being a Roman citizen. There were Roman citizens. And there was Roman nobility. And almost nobody had that. Very few people were would be in any category considered to be in the nobility. And with nobility, it was like if I may use a term, it was carte blanche. With nobility, you were untouchable. You had ultimate privilege. Ultimate position. You were the best of the best. And you could not in any way if you weren't born into that, you could not in any way hope to attain it. You had to be born into it. Another chance you had. When Paul in verse 11 says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the word he chooses is that one. I believe what Luke is doing is he's playing off of that untouchable 
position that is unattainable. Not something you can attain. Not something you can gain. Not something that you can acquire. Not something you can purchase. Not something that is at all accessible. At all. And to add to the equation, if you were Jewish in that world, you were even more removed from it. You were even further removed from nobility and from any chance of nobility. It was just not available to you. You were by definition, by definition, an outcast in so many ways. Yet Luke describes these Jews as more noble than those who are in Thessalonica. Now remember everything we just said. Nobility is not something you could purchase, acquire, or anything. There was no hope. And yet, Luke says these were more noble. He gives them that title. And then he goes on and he says things that they were. In verse 11, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But wait, didn't we just say that nobility was not something you could acquire? Yes, we did. Let me just become theological with you for a moment, if that's okay. We know what the scriptures tell us, right? Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says what? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Does that statement include the Jews in the synagogue as Paul came into the synagogue and preached the gospel? Yeah. It absolutely does. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Is there any hope for one who is dead in his trespasses and sins? The answer is no. In Ephesians chapter 2, what, is, what does Paul say? The inspired text says, but God made them alive. God made them alive and gave them the faith to what? Believe. I'm summing up the entirety of the section. And in the midst of that, we have, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. What? It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so we know it's not of works, right? We have no room for boasting. It's all of God, right? It's all of God. So what would we, what would we say if we fold that passage chapter 2 of Ephesians into verse 11 of chapter 17 of Acts, this more noble is not because, I would argue, because of the things they're doing. The things they are doing are evidencing something. What are the things they're doing evidencing? 
God is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work in them. Because the Spirit is at work, because if the Spirit wasn't at work in them, what would they look like? They'd be looking dead. They'd be looking more specifically like the Jews in Thessalonica. Like most of the Jews in Thessalonica, they'd be looking the exact same way. And we'd go back from there, can't we? We'd go all the way back. They'd be looking like Paul was when he was named Saul. As he was journeying up to Damascus. That's what they'd look like. They would, as Isaiah 53 describes so, or 52 describes so well, they despised and rejected him, a man of sorrows and way with grief. You know what it says? They turned their own way and they went aside. You know what it says? Exactly what it says. But these Jews were no, more noble. Because the Spirit was working in them. What is the Holy Spirit doing in them? He's drawing them. He's making them alive. He's giving them the faith to believe. The result of all this is what? What's happening? The Spirit's at work in them, and because the Spirit's at work in them, rather than rejecting the truth, they're doing what? Verse 11, they're doing what? Well, more specific, what are they doing? It says, it says yeah, they receive the word with, with what? All eagerness. They are, they are desirous. There's extreme desire. Do you get the sense there? All eagerness. There's extreme desire to receive the word. Do you hear that? Now remember, we're talking about who have not yet believed. Right? Because not until verse 12 they believe. But the Spirit is at work moving in their lives. So there is, as a result of the Spirit moving in their lives, they are receiving the word with all eagerness, and they're doing what? Examining the scriptures when? Daily. Daily. You know what that means? They don't have the Bible. They don't go home and sit down and read the Bible at home and their devotions every day. And they're searching the scriptures. You know what that means? It means two things. It means that they're going back to the, the synagogue every day to continue to study. There's, there, there's scripture there. They have the scrolls there in the synagogue. So they're back there at the at the uh, synagogue day after day after day. Do you, do you sense the that they're driven? Do you sense the the absolute urgency for something they had absolutely no interest in a few days before? There's an urgency involved here. They're going day by day by day by day. Doesn't say how long. But day after day, they're going back to the synagogue. And I can just picture them walking into the synagogue saying to the rabbi there, hey, you need to pull out the scriptures. I, we need to hear the scriptures read. Maybe Paul was there as well at times. We don't know. It doesn't say that. Because he went, to, went there. But it doesn't mean he was there every single day. But he may have been. He may not have been. But they were. we know they were there every day. So whether Paul's there explaining it day after day as well, or if they're going back to the rabbi and saying, hey, could you do me a favor today? I know you read Isaiah 39 before. Could you read Isaiah 40 today? Could you read it again? One more time. 
Wait, could you read that verse? Now, they didn't have a broken down verse, but you get the point. Could you read that paragraph again, please? Could you read it slower? What does that word mean? What's he referring to here? What does it mean when it says, like a lamb before her shears was dumb, so he opened not his mouth? Rabbi, what does that mean? That's what he's talking about. Well, that guy Paul said it was Jesus. And the story is that he didn't open his mouth. He went like a lamb to the slaughter. Hey, Rabbi, it looks to me like what Paul's saying about Jesus really fulfills Isaiah. How about, how about you read Isaiah 41 for us now? You get that sense, don't you? So they're examining the scriptures daily to see if these were, were so. What is this nobility thing that's being talked about? I would present to you that most likely the nobility thing that he's talking about is another nobility. A nobility that can't be bought. What does the New Testament tell us? It tells us we are, what? Adopted as what? As sons. Of who? Of the king. We're adopted as sons of the king. Is that not a reoccurring theme in the New Testament? Isn't it? There's one note. Couldn't be bought. Oh, not by the Jews. But it was bought by the natural son, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Bought by the natural son at the cost of his life. It was bought with a price. These Jews were bought with a price. The result is in more noble. Because the, the reality is that we've been adopted by son, we are no we are part of King's family, aren't we? Aren't we? And that's the picture that's being presented here. And so in the initial, just in the very initial new life that the Spirit makes him alive. The nobility begins to evidence itself, doesn't it? You know what happens? This new nobility, it begins to evidence itself. How? Well, it tells us right there. They received the word with all eagerness. You get the sense it's like it's like someone who is just dying without it. They just desperately Examine the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. And then this new nobility reaches its full fruition, at least on this side of glory. In verse 12, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. 
Out of all the Father gives me, I lose none. I lose none. So many of the Jews in the synagogue believed. And on top of that, not a few, that is, in other words, quite a few, Greek women of high standing as well as men believed as well. So there's a sizable transition taking place in this town called Berea. And people begin to become saved. Ask the question. Yes, please. Do you think every one of them who was enabled came to faith that night? Or were there some among them who were eager to examine the scripture who would be concerned? Sure, good question. I would say that now I'm speaking theologically, because the word many in verse 12 uh, could could imply that some of the uh, more noble didn't come as believers, but doesn't have to. Okay, I would argue that no, it, it, because of other places of scripture, that no, that those who are more noble, because God, God who has begun the good work in you, Philippians 1:6, will continue to perfect it until the Jesus Christ, day of Jesus Christ. These people here who are eagerly searching, why would they eagerly search? Why would they do this? Yes, because the Spirit is at work in them. Absolutely. They're eagerly searching day after day and, and being brought into, I would argue in this case, being brought from the beginning to the end. So it is true the Romans and the Greeks were specific and often would engage ideas and think yes. deeply about them. I'm thinking yes. about the Ethiopian eunuch. Yes. He's, he's one that explained this to me. Yes. Yeah, the, the, but it, it's why it's interesting that the, the nobility issue that's stated here is targeted on the Jews, not the Romans and Greeks, right? So, yeah, I would, I would say no. The, the, the point of the text is that they're being brought along, and the many is more referring to there are a lot of people coming to the synagogue, a lot of Jews in town, but the ones who were eager are coming to faith. Yeah. Good question, though. So, so many believe that in verse 13, lo and behold, what happens? As has happened everywhere, what happens? Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. Now you get a, a, an understanding of what I was talking about at the very beginning in verse 10. They were hot after Paul and Silas, weren't they? They're not just staying there saying, Woo, well, Berea's got to deal with it. We don't have to deal with it anymore. Leave that up. No, they, they hop on their chariots right away and head off to Berea. They got to deal with this as well there. And so the Jews go there too, and they immediately upon arrival begin to agitate and stir up the crowds. Happened before, happening again, it'll happen again in the future. Verse 14, then the brothers immediately set Paul off. Does this sound familiar? Verse 10, from Thessalonica. Then the brothers immediately set, set Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Verse 15, those who conducted Paul, that is, helped him escape, brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So, what we have here is the Jews come from Thessalonica, they irritate and agitate the crowd, stir them up. The brothers, the newly saved people, these Jews and the Greek women and, and the men who are saved, 
Some of them immediately sent Paul off, not all of them, immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. Paul or Silas and Timothy stay behind. We'll talk about that in a second. He goes to Athens. We'll talk about Athens next week, Lord willing. And then after a while, being in Athens, uh, uh, Paul and Silas, or I'm sorry, Paul calls for um, um, uh, verse 15. Those who conducted Paul brought as far as Athens after receiving command for Silas and Timothy to come to them as soon as possible. They departed. So they uh, they called them. So the point is that what we saw in verse 10, we saw the brothers, these new brothers, rescuing Paul and sending him to Berea. We see more new brothers in, in Berea, and they, once the agitators arrive, once again do the exact same thing and help Paul on his way all the way to Athens. You'll notice that Silas and Timothy stay there, which is another interesting scenario, which I just want to touch on briefly. Interesting that what we see here is Paul and Silas, first of all, are unafraid, right? They go to the temple, or to the, to the synagogue, I mean. Unafraid, they know what's coming, they go there anyway. After being rescued, after being removed from in, at night from Thessalonica. Once everything starts happening in Berea, the new believers do what? The same thing the new believers in Thessalonica do. They help Paul get away and take him down to Athens. But it's interesting that Paul and Silas stay behind. Isn't it? The agitators are there. Paul leaves. Because the new believers help him get away. Paul and Silas say, we're staying. Paul, I'm sorry, Timothy and, and, and Silas say, we're staying. And they stay and they minister. That's the point. They're staying to encourage and build up and teach and strengthen this new group of believers. At personal peril. These new group of believers, once again, just like we saw the new believers in, in Thessalonica, the new group of believers in Berea, do what? At their own personal peril, they remove Paul from the setting and take him to Athens. You see a pattern? Do you see it? It's a pretty dramatic pattern, isn't it? The pattern is a one of trust in God. Faith. That God's going to do what he's going to do. Now, it's very easy to say, well, yeah, but you know, I, I suspect that Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy probably felt like you know they were they were in God's hand and safe. Well, in God's hand, yes. Right? In God's hand, yes. Safe? If you think that, have you read the rest of Acts? Not safe. I mean, even we just look back from where we've already been in the first 16 chapters. Safe? Ever? Eternally speaking. 
<laughs> yes, eternally, but not temporally. What's the point? No, the point is that when the gospel captures their heart, which is what the Spirit does, right? When the gospel captures their heart, values, what's important, all begin to change, doesn't it? Don't you see it here in the text? And it's not just Paul and Silas and Timothy. Silas and Timothy are willing to stay. Why? Because the gospel is more important than their safety and security and comfort and ease. Isn't it? Their values have all changed by the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does in people's lives. If I'm going to use the term, that's what nobility does. Doesn't it? Spiritual nobility. That's what the Spirit does in those who have been adopted. And that's what we see in the text. The Spirit moves in the, Thessal in the, I'm sorry, in the Berean Jews and some Greek women and, and some men, Greek men, and everything changes for them. Is that not a pattern we've seen everywhere? Everything changes? Every, that's the point. Everything changes. For the Jews, it was no longer the Old Testament Jewish system. It was the Redeemer Jesus, the Messiah Jesus that they were drawn to. And it changed everything. For the Greeks, it was no longer polytheism. It was Jesus. And it changed everything. Didn't it? Everything. Everything shifted. Every perspective was changed. The entire value system of their lives it wasn't a call, a need to call and say, you need to change the way you think about things, was it? It changed. Which is why Paul could go through all the things he went through. Because the things he counted valuable before are now what? And we said we quoted it already from Philippians chapter 3, are now done. The things that were so absolutely important to him before are now meaningless to him. Meaningless. Why? Because he's a child of the king. Because he's been redeemed. Because he's been adopted. Everything changes. And that is the power of the gospel, by the way. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit making alive the believers, the true believers. Even in the process, they search the scriptures. Well, you're going to figure it out. Could I just throw this out as a caveat to challenge us? As a, as a major challenge? If unsaved people 
that the Spirit is moving in, in the initial movements, could cause those people to search the scriptures with all eagerness. And day after day, how much more should we expect the Spirit to be doing that in our lives? Just want to throw that out there. How much more should we expect that the Spirit should be doing it in true believers' lives? I mean, it's almost like, if I may just say this, it's almost like we think, well, that, you know, here we have these Bereans, these, these Jews that lived in Berea that weren't yet believers, but the Spirit was working their life, and they were searching the Scriptures daily, and they were with all eagerness doing it. But somehow we think it's incoherent that would continue after they're believers. Somehow today we think that once you're saved, though, everything everything changes, not in, in a, like, it's even accelerating, like, even more eagerness, even more daily searching. Somehow we think it's all eagerness and day by day until finally we believe, and then we kind of put it in neutral. Again, I'm not saying that we need to really work hard at, at making sure it's still going and going. That's what I'm saying. The Spirit was doing this, wasn't he? The Spirit was at work in them. The result was they were searching with all eagerness day after day. Thessalonian believers didn't have time to learn that. I'm sorry? Thessalonian believers didn't have time to learn that. They were new. They were yeah. freshly minted believers. Are they? Yeah. But somehow today we kind of the average Christian kind of thinks it's more of a, a drift. Like we kind of drift into spiritual maturity. And that's okay. It's kind of like by osmosis, you know? I mean, you get the sense where Paul is preaching and these not quite yet believers, but the spirits at work in them, you get the sense that these, these Jews are like, but wait, Paul, Paul we've got, we got tons of questions. And we've got to ask them. And we've got to know the answer from the scriptures. And we're not going to rest until we have them. You know the crazy thing about that is the spirits at work in our lives, you know what's going to happen? When you have questions and, and the spirits at work and you're receiving it with all eagerness, even as a believer, and you have questions and you're not going to rest until you have the answers to those questions, you know what happens? You start as you're reaching for those answers, you know what you discover? You have a whole lot more questions that you discovered with all eagerness. That drives you by the Spirit to search the Scriptures. Resulting in a whole lot more questions. 
resulting in a whole lot more eagerness. Resulting in a whole lot more searching. And it's all by the Spirit. Let us not think for a second that the bereavement stopped this. It is interesting, if I may just throw this out here. You notice, it's interesting. This is all supposition. But do you notice there's no, there's no epistle of Paul to the Berean church? Do you notice that? Do you? There's no letter to the Berean church. Do you find it a little odd? Now, I know it's not super far away from Thessalonica, but do you find it really odd? I mean, Paul wrote a plethora of, of books, didn't he? Of letters to churches. He had plenty of time. And what else is he going to do in prison? Right? What else is he going to do? Now, this is just a guess. That's all it is. I know the letters were circular. They went around. They traveled around from church to church to church. You'd, like Thessalonica would get First Thessalonians. They'd read it. and they'd, they'd pass it on to the next church, next church. And Thess Second Thessalonians came in, passed it to the next church, next church, next church. And then, you know, the um, Corinthians got their letter and off it would go. And Second Corinthians off it would go. And Ephesians got their letter and off it would go. And Philippians off it would go. I get that. But it is interesting, isn't it, that Berea didn't get a letter written to him. It makes you stop and say, I wonder what that is. And again, this is just a guess, just a supposition. But if you read the letters Paul wrote to churches, he wrote the letters to churches for a reason. You know what the reason almost every time was? In fact, every time was? It was always corrective. It was always corrective. They were an error. Some cases, grotesque error. In other cases, not. Now, it could very well be, I mean, it could very well be that the Berean church kind of vanished because of persecution. That could be. But it could also be that the Berean church was aflame with the truth. And there's no need to send a letter to them. They're getting all the corrective letters. They didn't need a letter to them. Because they were doing really well. They were enthralled with Jesus. They were continuing on with their new position in Christ. Could be. Again, that's just a guess. I think it's a pretty halfway decent guess anyway. It's like they didn't need a corrective letter. They didn't need it. I guess if we look at the text, we can ask ourselves you know, just a couple questions real quick and we'll close on this. What's important to us? Here we talk about values. We talk about importance, right? And that's, Doesn't that come out of the text pretty clearly? Values and importance. What's, what's really valuable to us? What is our value structure? Now, it's easy to say, well, Jesus, gospel. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in reality, in by way of example, by way of evidence, by the weight of evidence of our lives. What really is of importance to us? What really is our value structure? What is it? 
I would argue from this text, from many, many other texts, that those are really important questions. What's our value structure? What's of ultimate importance to us? We could ask ourselves, in light of those two questions, what's the evidence of that? I gave my answers in my mind. What's the answer? So this is the answer. What's the evidence of that? We Again, we sang the song this morning, but I just need to ask us to ask ourselves the question. Do we find the word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth, the spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sided, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, this truth, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. I don't know about you, but that's challenging. That's challenging. And it should be challenging. Because it causes us to reflect on our lives and ask ourselves, where is the gospel in my life? It causes us to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, not how can I do better? Please, again, that's not the answer. How can I do more? How can I do better? The question always goes back to, If not Jesus, what? Or who? If Jesus isn't my greatest value, and the gospel not my greatest value, if Jesus and the gospel are not of most importance, evidently, who? What is? And I think in this historical story is that very lesson. It failed, yes, but it is a call to repentance. Because prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Hebrews is all about that. We just studied it. Wasn't it? Be after today. Be after what? After doing more? No. Be after Jesus is the point today. Be after with all eagerness. Hearing from Jesus today. Hearing from God today, while still today. Be after fellowshipping with God today. Reveling in his gospel today. In repentance. And the Spirit will do something mighty in us, won't he? And even that's caused by the Spirit, isn't it? And you know what the Spirit will do in us? The Spirit will show, will evidence in us our true nobility. He will. He will cause 
to be evidenced in us the nobility that has been bought with a price. It's a foreign, it's a foreign nobility. It's not something I deserve. But it's something given to me by the blood of Jesus. And all praise and all glory and all honor will then go where? To the one who's truly noble. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us. We are people who so easily wander astray. We are people who so easily get caught up in temporal things. We are people who so easily get caught up in, in things that are, are not nobility things. We are, not, we are people who get caught up so easily in things that are not things of the kingdom and things of our king. We so easily give ourselves away to things that are absolutely an antithesis of who you are. And so, Lord, we ask that you will cause us, draw us to repentance, that you will work in our lives and draw us close, and that you will soften our hard hearts. Our hearts that too often are deceived. that you will cause us to be enthralled with our King. And that will evidence itself in, in being people who eagerly search the Scriptures, eagerly long to know you day after day, and have values and priorities that are radically different as a result of your glory. Your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. In your name I pray. Amen.